0: This message comes from NPR sponsored Chobani Oat. Made to taste just like milk. It's creamy, frothy, and great with coffee and cookies. But without the dairy, because it's not milk, it's almost milk. New Chobani Oat. In 2017, the movie It was a massive blockbuster and became the highest grossing R-rated horror film of all time. Adapting the Stephen King novel of the same name, it tells the story of seven misfit kids in the late 1980s and a supernatural being that preys on children in a small town in Maine. Its sequel is called It Chapter Two. The movie revisits the kids 27 years later. They're now played by the likes of Jessica Chastain, James McAvoy, and Bill Hader. I'm Stephen Thompson. This week on Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR, we are talking It Chapter 2. Here with me in the studio is All Things Considered movie editor, Mallory Yu. Hi, Mallory. Hey there. Welcome back, Mallory. And joining us from Chicago is Tasha Robinson of The Verge and The Next Picture Show podcast. Hey, Tasha. Hi, it's so great to be back. It is great to have you. Now, before we get into It Chapter 2, it wouldn't hurt to get caught up on the plot uh, up to this point. The 2017 film shares a lot of thematic DNA with... With movies like Stand By Me, it's a gaggle of misfits who fight their demons along with bullies and parents who are, I would say, at best, distracted. In It, they also have to fight an evil supernatural being who takes the form of Pennywise, the creepy clown who feeds on their fears and weaponizes them uh, against them. There's gore, but also a lot of psychological horror as well as lots of jokes and banter. With It Chapter 2, the kids reunite for a film that doubles down on the blood and the kids' haunting and haunted backstory.
1: Tasha, what did you think of It Chapter 2? Well, I really wish there had been a little more of the psychological horror you just mentioned. The first film is kind of a a typical Stephen King story about coming of age and nostalgia for the 50s and the way the world is changing and the kinds of friendships you can only have in childhood and then the nature of belief in the supernatural and how it's different for children than adults and how children live in a different world than adults, like all of these interesting things going on on top of, you know, CGI bugaboos leaping at the screen and screaming every three seconds. (laughs) It Chapter 2, to me, felt like it dropped virtually all of that in favor of CGI bugaboos. There's just a little hint of kind of the the themes that would come out of middle age instead, where you've got a bunch of people who are maybe a little disappointed with their lives and the way their lives have emerged from the versions of them that we saw as children. But the film just doesn't really, you know, reconnoiter any of the interesting emotional dynamics of adulthood the way the first film reconnoitered the interesting emotional dynamics of childhood. And it ended up seeming kind of empty as a result. There's just, there's so much repetition in Yet again, we're going to split up and and go off by ourselves so this thing can threaten us in specific ways. And those specific ways aren't tied to them emotionally in the way they were as kids. I'm kind of glad we saw so much of the kids, so we had a way to tie it to the earlier film. But a lot of it just sort of seemed like an empty exercise in uh, jump scares. All right, so mixed. I, I more or less enjoyed the experience of butt in seat. Uh, I do wish it had been shorter at 169 minutes. It is a lot, and so much of that lot is repetitious. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I, I enjoyed a lot of things about it, which we can get into, um, including the cast and uh, just sort of the dynamics between them. But overall, it just... It's not that I didn't like it, it's just that I kept seeing how it could be better, shorter, sharper, more thoughtful.
2: Exactly. I totally agree with Tasha. I found that I was really wanting to see more psychological horror instead of just the sort of jump scare of Pennywise transforming himself into something that surprises you in the dark. I thought it was really uneven. There were lots of scenes that I that I found to be really tense, and I was you know, scared. But they were surrounded by so much filler and so much repetition that after a while, I was just like, come on, guys, like, let's get this plot going. Mm -hmm. There wasn't a lot about this movie that actually scared me. You know, there's the jump scare or that, you know, you're tense because you know that Pennywise is going to come around the corner or whatever. But there were too many times where I just kind of scoffed and said, come on, nobody would do that. (sighs) Why would these characters make these choices? And it just felt like they needed a convenient way to show this scene of Pennywise scaring these kids or these adults. I can only suspend disbelief so far before I'm, like, suspended in midair in an underground sewer, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Overall, I would say, like, this is what I call an air conditioner movie. You know, it's (laughs) the type of movie that you see when you want to do something and get out of the house, but it's too hot to do anything. So you might as well go see a movie. Kind of fun. It's unintentionally silly. And maybe you'll have a good time with the audience laughing at it.
0: All right. I kind of came down... somewhat in the same place, and what's disappointing about that for me is I really enjoyed It Chapter One. I thought that It Chapter One just met at this really nice midpoint between a stand-by-me, Stranger Things, kids on bikes, kind of coming-of-age movie, and something more driven by horror and gore and scares and and, and psychological torment. And so I, I came out of that movie like actually really looking forward to the sequel, and And seeing this movie, I thought, kind of like you said, it leaned into the things that I enjoyed the least. Uh, I found this kind of endless cavalcade of CGI set pieces involving terrible fears to be kind of deadening after a while, especially in a movie that's two hours and 49 minutes long. On one hand, it is an absolute meal of a horror movie, right? Like, there's a lot to it. But at the same time... It takes so long to get there and when it gets there, it's kind of just hitting the same nail over and over again. And I, I also think just tonally there are some huge, huge problems with the way this movie starts. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I don't want to ignore that. This movie starts with about a 10-minute set piece of a really vicious homophobic attack. Uh, it, it, is a, it is a scene of violent gay bashing uh, it is there to get under your skin and uh, and upset you then it has nothing to do with the plot it's never referenced again it took so long for me to recover from it and not in like a i am scared i am experiencing a horror movie so much as like i am experiencing something that is terrible to watch that has nothing to do with anything
2: right and I felt like it upset me and disturbed me in a way that distracted me from what yes. was happening. I understand the role that this scene is playing, right? It's supposed to indicate the sort of underground rot of this city, the sort right. of emotional rot, if you will, the, the of human, the people. The human horror versus the supernatural right. horror. And I get that, but I'm really tired of violence against LGBTQIA people being used As a shorthand for someone's emotional rot. As a queer person, I went home after and as I was thinking about it, I just started shaking because this is a fear that we live with and deal with. And being surprised by that in a movie like this for a brutally long time, it took me out of the movie for a good hour.
0: Yeah, I, th- I think there's just a huge difference between saying, like, I am afraid of spiders and now I'm going to be confronted on the screen with a gigantic spider with a human face. Th- there's a huge difference between that, which has a, th- a silliness to it, and something that is a real life, extremely upsetting horror that is not, there- there's nothing silly about it. Tonally, there is a gigantic leap
1: between the two. And just the way they're shot is very different. I mean, the whole movie is scary in the way a roller coaster is scary, which is to say, you know you're safe. It's not tapping into any deep, dark fears. If you put your arms up in the air and scream along with everybody else, it's a little more fun, but you're also kind of convincing yourself that this goofy, amorphous blob thing that keeps sprouting a thousand teeth is frightening. Gay bashing, like like brutal, vicious gay bashing that comes out of nowhere, that's literally just an attack for existing in public around violent homophobic people, it's not playful and it's not harmless.
2: It also felt like queerness was used as a weapon against these characters. You see it in this hate crime, you see it elsewhere in the movie and at the end, there's no catharsis. Right. There's absolutely none.
1: I think it's worth saying that the gay bashing sequence is drawn really directly from the original book. I think culturally it plays very different in 2019 than it did in 1986 when the book was published. But also just within context, uh, the book features a lot of sequences like this that aren't homophobic centered, that are essentially portraits of the kinds of people that Derry takes as its victims. And I won't say it has a deadening effect, but it does have a sort of contextualizing effect. There are all sorts of ways for people to be victimized by being young or by being alone or by being uh, mentally ill There's, or by being victimized in other ways, like having an abusive uh, household member. The book simplifies a lot of those things out or, or concentrates them down into smaller versions of themselves This is just one of the few occasions where something is taken from the book that doesn't involve the primary characters and then is explored at enough detail to make you actually feel it. So it ends up standing out in a way other sequences don't.
0: I definitely get that that scene is lifted straight out of the book, but like, they didn't bother with the child orgy, you know, either. There's, there's lots of stuff in this 1100 page book that was not deemed necessary to fit into these movies. What did you guys think of this adult cast? I mean, for me, I came out of this movie like, if Bill Hader hadn't been in this thing, I would have had a very, very different experience.
2: Agreed. Um, I thought Bill Hader was really great. He was funny and magnetic. I mean, I felt like my eye was always gravitating toward him when Mm -hmm. he was on screen. I really appreciated sort of his emotional journey through the movie, even though I might have wanted to see more of that since we didn't really see any of Richie's internal life in it. Jessica Chastain, um, there was a part of me that sort of Cringed every time she shrieked, but you know what? Same girl, I would shriek too. <laughs> <laughs> I really enjoyed Jessica Chastain. Personally,
1: uh, we've seen her over and over in movies, suffering beautifully and and weeping beautifully. I feel like she's she's maybe not a classic scream queen, but she certainly is a dramatic weep queen. And you want somebody who can bring across deep seated emotional trauma and cry beautifully like that's Jessica Chastain's whole kind of modus operandi right there. I thought she did a really terrific job of bringing across the emotions of that character and the fragility and strength of that character. And I thought James Mcavoy was actually really strong. I mean if you were going to tell me that uh somebody of his acting caliber was going to be spending roughly three hours running from a cgi effect uh, i might have laughed at you but he actually brings across I think a bit of gravitas to some of the scenes where he's forced to panic so hard that he just he looks like a crazy man while he's trying to do some very important things to save people's lives. Um, I, I
0: will say, t- cast-wise, I did appreciate the casting of Isaiah Mustafa, the former Old Spice guy. <laughs> I was very, very happy to happy to see him. Uh,
1: uh, I'm always a fan of the Old Spice guy. We should say something about Bill Skarsgård as uh, Pennywise the Clown. I he I think he just. He He throws himself into that role like it's a gigantic meal and he might never eat again. Uh, His his commitment to being big and goofy and strange and exaggerated, I think, really kind of helps make this movie. It really helps to have a human being under all of the effects and a human being who seems to be really enjoying himself.
0: Yeah, well, if the box office success of the first It is any indication, a lot of you will go to see It Chapter 2. We want to know what you think. Find us on Facebook at Facebook.com slash PCHH or tweet us at PCHH. When we come back, it'll be time to talk about what's making us happy this week. So come right back. Support for NPR and the following message come from Netflix's Contoto. Presenting Brown Love, a new podcast that aims to bring together the best and brightest of Latino Hollywood to get real about the industry and all the things Latinx communities are talking about on your timeline. Each week, the show features a roundtable of Latino actors, including Diane Guerrero from Orange is the New Black and Jessica Marie Garcia from On My Block. New episodes of Brown Love drop every Tuesday. Subscribe now where you listen to podcasts. Welcome back to Pop Culture Happy Hour. It is time for our favorite segment of this week and every week. What is making us happy this week? Mallory, you. What's making you happy this week?
2: I was at Dragon Con this last weekend and it's one of the largest sort of fan run conventions in the country. It's like nerd spring break. You <laughs> you go to a few hotels in downtown Atlanta and there are people dressed in incredible costumes, just the most fantastic, inspired by anime, inspired by Marvel superheroes. For me, it's just a time to remember why I'm a nerd and (laughs) remember that I actually do like a lot of these things, despite the fact that I kind of tend to critique them. It's exhausting, but I have never had a bad time (laughs) at Dragon Con, and it's just going to keep me going through this week. Um, I, of course, dressed up like my girl Kate Bishop, Hawkeye, who's going to be in the new Disney Plus Hawkeye streaming shows, and I also did a Midsummer cosplay because I'm a giant nerd. <laughs>
1: <laughs>
0: you're among you're among your
1: people.
2: <laughs> Tasha
0: Robinson, what is making you happy this week?
1: Well, on September second, Cartoon Network launched Steven Universe yes, the movie, which it is did. the first feature-length version of Steven Universe, a TV show that I believe you've talked about on Pop Culture Happier, and I believe you're about to talk about it even more. So uh, you could consider this a teaser or just me jumping the gun. Reviewing this film was a little difficult because it's kind of a fan-only proposition. It's a payoff for years and years of the Cartoon Network TV show, uh, which is about a young boy who is half alien, half human, has a bunch of alien friends, and is trying to contend with what it's like to grow up. The movie picks up a lot of the themes that the show has explored really, really well. It's a full-on musical. The music is terrific. It's, it's catchy. It's memorable. It's emotional. Uh, but more than anything else it just it kind of feels like the movie is a sort of best of and this movie is probably incomprehensible to anybody who hasn't been following along with Steven Universe. Um, But to fans, it's just, it's a big emotional banquet of all of these things that we've been, been seeing for so long, you know, sort of taken to another level and once again, expressed with music, which is a favorite way of the TV show to express emotions. So Steven Universe, the movie loved it, loved the show, love the fact that this is out in the world. Well, Tasha, as you, uh,
0: as you mentioned, we are about to talk about Steven Universe the movie on this show. If listeners want to prepare for that episode by mainlining all 160 episodes of the show and the movie, <laughs> the episodes are only 11 minutes long each. You can do it, people. It's like 35 <laughs> hours, maybe. I highly, highly recommend doing that. We will have many more thoughts on Steven Universe and Steven Universe the movie next week. As for what's making me happy, Lana Del Rey is making me happy. Uh, and <laughs> and her her album which i will have to clean i will have to clean up the title for you it is called norman effing rockwell exclamation point it is a banquet of slow motion southern california gloom it's interesting lana del rey when she first came out she came out with this song called video games and it was a song and a persona that launched a million Terrible think pieces about authenticity and whether this, what this person represented and what this music represented. And uh, I found it all so very exhausting, especially next to how pretty and interestingly conceived and interestingly performed it was. And seeing the enormously positive critical reception to this huge dose. Of a very carefully calibrated, very uh, slowly meted out, <laughs> um, kind of doomstruck beauty. <laughs> Let's actually hear a little bit of my favorite song on the record. The nine and a half minute long, near masterpiece, Venice Bitch.
1: Oh God, miss you on my lips. It's me, a little Venice bitch. On the street with the neighborhood. Some am
0: I really enjoy it. Norman Effing Rockwell by Lana Del Rey. That brings us to the end of our show. You can find all of us on Twitter. You can find me at I Dislike Steven. You can follow Mallory at Mallory underscore you. You can follow Tasha at Tasha Robinson. And you can follow our producer, Jessica Reedy, at Jessica underscore Reedy. You can also follow our producer emeritus and music director, Mike Katzif, at Mike Katzif, that's K-A-T-Z-I-F. Mike's band, Hello, Come In, provides the music you are bobbing your head to right now. Thanks to all of you for being here. Being here. Thank you for having me. As always, it's so much fun. Thanks for listening to Pop Culture Happy Hour from NPR. And if you have a second and you're so inclined, please subscribe to our newsletter at npr.org slash popculturenewsletter. We will see you all right back here next week.
1: Hey, uh, you know what next year is, right? 2020, election year. The news is only going to get crazier. So join me, Sam Sanders, for a wrap up of the week's news and culture that will not make you want to pull your hair out. Download and listen every weekend to It's Been a Minute from NPR.